You are now listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Universal FanCon is a brand new convention coming to the Baltimore Convention Center in April of 2018. FanCon will be a round-the-clock event featuring comics, cosplay, gaming, celebrity guests, music, and more with a focus on diversity and inclusion. Get your tickets now at UniversalFanCon.com because geek is universal. I'm Gugu and Barcarua and you are now listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Hi, I'm Tessa Thompson and you are listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Hey, this is Jada Pinkett-Smith, and you're listening to Black Girls Nerds Podcast. Hi, guys. I'm John Boyega, and you're now listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Enjoy. Black Girls Rock. My name is Teresa Fittenley, and I play Fiji Kavanaugh on Midnight, Texas. You are now listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Hi, I'm Melody Cooper, director of The Sound of Darkness, and you're listening to Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Hey, this is Francesca Ramsey, but everyone online knows me as Chesco Lee, and you are listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast, and it's dope! tuning into episode 139 of the Black Girl Nerds podcast. My name is Jamie and I am your host. This episode is the South by Southwest Rewind episode. We've got more interviews for you in store at South by Southwest. And this episode features the following films, Support the Girls, First Match, and Blockers. Three segments. And our very first segment, I had the pleasure of doing a one-on-one interview with actress Regina Hall. She is the lead in the film called Support the Girls, which made its premiere at South by Southwest. In our second segment, I had the pleasure of interviewing the cast and crew of the film called First Match, which is a Netflix film that also premiered at South by Southwest. In this interview features director Olivia Newman, and actors Elvira Emanuel, Yaya Abdul-Mateen II, and Colin Domingo. In our final segment, I had the opportunity to sit down with the cast and crew of the film Blockers, director Kay Cannon, and cast members Geraldine Viswanathan and Gideon Adlin. Thanks so much for tuning in to episode 139 of the Black Girl Nerds podcast. It's another South by Southwest Rewind. Lisa Conroy is the last person you'd expect to find in a highway side sports bar with curves. But as general manager of Double Whammies, she's come to love the place and its customers. An incurable den mother, she nurtures and protects her girls fiercely. But over the course of one trying day, her optimism is battered from every direction. Double Whammy sells a big, weird American fantasy, but what happens when reality pokes a bunch of holes in it? The film is directed by Andrew Bujalaski and stars Regina Hall. Just a quick production note, there was a lot of background noise and conversations happening around us when we were doing this one-on-one interview, so I do apologize if you're distracted at all while listening to it. But unfortunately, I was in an area where I could not tone down the sidebar conversations that were around us. But for the most part, you can hear the audio pretty well. Enjoy. Oh. <laughs> so crazy. <laughs> All right, so 
I'm going to dive right in okay. and get started. Absolutely. So I am here with Regina Hall. She is in the film Support the Girls here at South by Southwest. And first and foremost, how's your South by been so far, Regina? This is my first South by Southwest. Really? And it's, yeah, it is. It's great. I mean, we shot Support the Girls here in Austin. So I'm a huge fan of Austin. But... Um, actually, I love the festival. It has a it has a great flow, and 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 um, it's been wonderful to like run into so many people. It's, it feels like it's spread out enough, and like everything feels like really um, easy. You know what I mean? Really easy. So I've been enjoying it. Oh, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. Have you had a chance to get any of the tacos and the queso? And Not enough. <laughs> Not enough. It's we, all about the tacos here. At I know. <laughs> I know. It's so funny because somebody I was just talking to Sarah, and she just had some. She just took somebody to get tacos last night. Oh, nice. But yeah, it is all the way. It is all about the tacos and the barbecue. And the barbecue. Yes. And the barbecue. Yes. So let's talk about support the girls for our listeners. Can you kind of give us a little bit of a rundown about your character, Lisa, in support the girls? So, um, support the girls is centered at a um, they call you know, it's a it's, I guess it's like a sports bar with curves, you know. Mm -hmm. So it's it's in the vein of like a Hooters or a Twin Peaks, and so um, it's that's the world. And my character Lisa plays the manager of Double Whammies. <laughs> um, <laughs> It's kind of like a double entendre for um, support the girls. Right, right. And okay. then support the girls. Yeah, yeah. And so um, it's kind of what happens in one day. It's, it's, it's like a slice of life mo movie. And Lisa's this insanely incredible, loving optimist mm. who really tries to see the best of a world that has a lot of twists and turns. You know, it's not a dark world, but, you know, life has its own kind of juxtaposition of amazing things and the not so amazing things and so she's kind of managing both and um, you kind of see how things happen on this one particular day and you know the highs the challenges and where it all ends up and then of course she has this amazing group of young girls who she um, really will do anything for and, 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 and a not so easy boss played by James LeGros, who actually owns Double Whammies. How did you research this role? Did you pull from previous exper experiences, or have you ever worked in management? I haven't, but you know, I will say this. One of the things that was so great was reading the script. The character itself was really there on paper. It, it's weird. It's like when I read it, I could hear her. Oh. Okay. Um, sometimes there are scripts, when I read it, I literally can... I don't know, it's weird to say, but I can hear their voice yeah. and inflection. And um, I do remember, like, I start every character off with hair. Really? I do. So I remember knowing, I remember seeing her hair, and I was like, oh, it's awful. She doesn't, <laughs> she doesn't have good hair, you know? And you kind of have to commit to that. What kind of hair did you envision? Um, I envisioned that she was um, stuck. You know when you see people, um, and they're in present time, but they're dated. Yeah. You know, I, I saw that there was that 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 she was dated, and so yeah. her hair, the hair, you know, the hair is terrible. The it hair just is wasn't so bad. laid, was it? It wasn't laid, but you know what? But she put time into it. Uh huh. She tried. Yeah, there was a lot of effort, and so. Um, you know, I could just hear it, but I actually went to a lot of Hooters. I actually talked to a lot of managers who manage, managed those types of restaurants okay. so that I could kind of see what their day was like. I could. There was a Twin Peaks, and there was a female manager. She was great. When you went there, I mean, she had tampons for the girls. She had earrings. She had jewelry. She had makeup if they lost their makeup. I mean, if they got sick, if they needed Tylenol. I mean, she literally was like... It was like having, she was literally like a mommy, and she she really felt proud, and um, I loved her sense of responsibility and um, commitment to the well-being of the girls and making sure that their needs were met so they didn't have to worry about those tiny things while they worked. So she was a, a tremendous help. 
Were there any managers that you've ever worked with that kind of inspired you while you were approaching this role? No. No, I never really had a manager that was um, that um, supportive and connected to my well-being. So the first time I had really ever experienced it was actually talking to that manager at Twin Peaks, you know, and, and, and watching her and... I mean, she dressed our girls when they got dressed up. You know, she had yeah. she had pliers to fix jewelry, you know, and, and, and was so bright and really also was as connected to her customers. You know, it was her job was um, important, and I asked her how she felt about it, and she loved it. And it was kind of wonderful to see a group of women really take pride and ownership in, in what they do for a living, regardless of, you know, how it may seem to um, an, an outside world that's not familiar with it. And I think once you, once you get in and you see that, then, you know, your own kind of veil and outlook towards it changes. I know for me it did a lot. I mean, this is very connected with these women in the film. Very. And there's a lot of great chemistry there. Mm -hmm. Did you guys uh, hang out at all, like, outside of the set and just kind of build that rapport mm -hmm. and relationships with one another? We did. You know, it was great. Andrew set up a lot of time for us to rehearse and hang out and be together. And the girls are, like, tw in real life, 22, 21. Mm -hmm. So it was really easy because they were really, honestly... <laughs> They're very bright and bubbly and kind of looking at the world through their eyes was, it's quite refreshing. And I would imagine it was, a, you know, it was certainly refreshing for me and refreshing for Lisa because you have these, you have these girls who, you know, there's so much potential, you know, and even if the future may not be like, oh, you're going to be president, but there's so much potential for happiness. And I think... You know, that's what Lisa's thing is, for them to be happy. But the girls, I mean, I adored the girls, you know, and it was yeah. great to hang out with them and and be on set with them all day and watch them in their little <laughs> uniforms and their makeup. They were, they were, they're great girls. I can tell that you guys were all pretty much getting along. Yeah. So. What, what scene resonated with you the most while filming? Oh, wow. You know what? There were a lot of scenes that I really responded to. Um, a scene with her husband and her talking outside the car. Mm. You know, the end of a relationship when you've kind of outgrown someone. That scene was, you know, Cubby and her boss and her in the car. Like when, you know, the way Andrew subtly addressed the racial thing. Mm. You know what I mean? Where, and I loved the way he did it because... He didn't make a big deal about Lisa being black or, but he, enough for it to be like, but it's real. Right. You know what I mean? And I liked how he, he didn't harp on it, but he didn't not acknowledge it. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but there were a lot. You know, I had scenes with the girls that I loved. I mean, all for different reasons. I mean, the scene with Arturo um, in the apartment. Did you see it? Yes. Yeah, with Arturo yep. in the apartment where um, she asked him, and she says, you know, you can always use me as a reference. There were a lot of, I don't know. Did you have one that stood out with you? I love the scene at the end mm. when you guys are, like, screaming. Yeah. It felt very cathartic, like, yeah. that moment for you yeah. guys. You know what? I liked the interview scene. Ah. Yeah, you know why? I looked at Lisa, and I thought she tried. You know, she looked a hot mess, that hair. <laughs> That shadow. I said to my my agent, I said, do you think Lisa got the job? My agent, my manager, they said no. No. They were like, no. Lisa, Lisa wasn't progressive, and that was, and I was like, that's awful. Yeah. But, yeah, I think, yeah, and that scene on the roof when the three of them are talking, there's, yeah, you know, life isn't easy, mm -hmm. and you're looking at these, but this is what most, like, this is what life is like. Right, right. I mean, you mentioned earlier that when you're, um, you know, reading a character, mm -hmm. you hear their voice. Mm -hmm. Did Lisa connect with you in any way? Is there any parts of Lisa that kind of parallels mm -hmm. your own personality or experiences? <coughs> you know what? I don't know. But whatever it was, when I read her, it resonated with me very deeply. Mm -hmm. So I don't know where... 
I don't know where Regina and Lisa intersect, mm-hmm. but there was something, as soon as I read her, I was like, I feel her. You know what I mean? Like, I felt her, and I knew she had an accent right away. I asked Andrew, can I give her an accent? I love the accent, by the way. Yeah, I liked, I loved it because it was just, because I felt like she was um, different than me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Her, her, her vibration felt, um, different, you know, and I loved doing that, you know what I mean? I mean, I looked at that lip liner <laughs> and frosted lips and I was you like, You are no. judging. I was like, no, why did I? And it's interesting because, you know, you forget because when I was doing it every day, shooting it, it felt so perfect. Like, and I was like, and she felt, her makeup felt pretty. Like, everything we chose, like, every day at work, it felt incredibly great and it wasn't until I was like now that it's rap obviously and you know whatever and then I looked Mm -hmm. on screen and I go ooh because I don't remember like she was she was so easy in her skin that I don't remember but now I'm just looking at her and I'm like Mm -hmm. Lisa looks crazy (laughs) (laughs) but it was perfect because it was I think that's what makes her authentic yeah, and it's that cool dichotomy of showing like her flaws, yes. as well as you know yes. what makes her such a genuine oh, person. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and that's what I liked. You know, even with the liner, and the, I always felt like every day she got up to work and she did that. Yeah, you know, she there was an effort to everything in her life, an effort to her her hair, to her makeup, to matching the girls. You know what I mean? Right. Like in her coral outfits, an effort with the customers. So I felt like. Her physicality represented her effort. Yes. I love that. Mm-hmm. I love that. Now, I know you've got a ton of projects coming up. The Hate You Give, which I'm very excited about. Oh, um, I know you wrapped up Shaft. Yes. Out of all the projects that you have coming up, is there one that you're the most excited about? Hate You Give, I'm very excited about. Amanda Steinberg is pretty awesome in it, and we have a great cast in this. Um, Issa Rae is in it, and um, Common is in it, and... Um, I hate forgetting my cast, Russell um, Hornsby. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, just a great group of just talented. I mean, Amanda is such a force in this, and and it's such a powerful story. Um, and Algie's in it, and I mean, you know the book, mm-hmm. and so yeah. to see that, you know, and know what happens, you know. So I'm very excited. And Shaft was fun. It was badass. And then I'm. Just did a pilot with Don Cheadle um, that's set in the 80s, um, based on Wall Street for Showtime. So yeah. I'm excited for that, too. Set that show. Yeah, <laughs> it's good. They're varied, and they're, they're all... They're, what I like is they're all different. This was so different. What I loved about this, coming after Girls Trip, was it was so different, you know. That character of um, Ryan, who's, like, all together and polished, you know. I love that Lisa's not that. She's not that girl. Mm-hmm. And, but yet there's a group of strong women around her, you know, and, um, and the support, and, and I hate you give, I loved, I loved that strong black family. Yes. Yeah. And I loved, um, you know, their commitment to their community, their commitment to their children, you know, and images like, you know, that are powerful like that. You know, I love being able in this time, today and age for, you know, all people but for us to be able to see you know those images of ourselves that are complex like we are you know what I mean that are not one dimensional that really show the variances in 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 who we are as 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 human beings and as women and you know to show that that variety is beautiful you know what I mean it's it's like I look at you know, I look at, listen, I look at black women and I'm in awe, mm. you know, of their amazingness, yeah. you know, for centuries, yeah. you know, the tenacity, the, you know, I, that election in Alabama, when they showed, I said, wow, are we, we about to, showed out. I said, I think we're going <laughs> to save the world. Yeah. Listen to black women. Yeah. And it's, a, it's really proud. I'm really proud to be one. You know what I mean? I'm really, I'm really, like, I'm really proud to be a black woman. Like, 
you know, like, you know, I'm even proud of my little features, my little, do you know what I mean, my little <laughs> black nose and all my little, you know what I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm very proud of that. And I, I'm just so happy that we're living in a time where we're seeing that yeah. on full display oh, on yeah. a big screen. I'm glad we're living in a time where we feel it. Yeah. I feel like it's resonating with us, you know, I feel like for a long time, you know, not that we haven't felt it, but we certainly haven't focused on it. Right. Or haven't seen it. And we haven't seen it. And mm-hmm. I love that, you know, or we've felt it despite, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? You're like, you know, your mom's always saying you're amazing, your grandmother, but she may be coming home from cleaning, you know, bathrooms all day. But like, you know what I mean? And, and then what you admire is their strength. But there's more than just strength. You know what I mean? There's, there's, there's love there's strength there's beauty you know what i mean there's intelligence there's wisdom there's soul and you know humor you know what i mean ratchetness like every yes, like yes. all of it like all I'm aspects like, all aspects that that the black diaspora and yeah. so to be living in a time to really feel that change and um and you know you know, like you writing these stories, you know, to be a part of the voice that says, you know, and here we are still. Yeah. Right, right. Well, thank you, Regina. Thank and please you. continue to give us these beautiful, complex, oh, complicated thank characters. Thank we love you. you. Thank you. I'm so glad you came out and supported, and I'm so glad to do the interview. Hardened by years in foster care, a teenage girl from Brooklyn's Brownsville neighborhood decides that wrestling boys is the only way back to her estranged father. This interview features the following, director Olivia Newman and actors Elvira Emanuel, Yaya Abdul-Mateen II, and Coleman Domingo. All right. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to Black Girl Nerds about First Match. Very excited. Um, I want to start with you, Olivia. I understand this film started off as a short, which was shown at the New York Film Festival, um, and it won an award at the Aspen Shorts Fest. So can you talk about the process of developing this from a short to a feature? Sure. Um, so when I was making the short, uh, it was for my thesis from Columbia University, where I did graduate school, um, and I was interested in the phenomenon of girls joining boys' wrestling teams. And so I was based in New York, and I didn't know anything about wrestling, so I went out into the New York City public school wrestling community to learn about wrestling, to interview girl wrestlers, um, and uh, and to find a wrestler to cast in the short. And the wrestler um, that I cast in the short film was an amazing wrestler named Nyasa, mm-hmm. who happened to be from Brownsville. Um, so we made this short film together, and in making the film and then traveling to festivals, we became close friends, and we stayed in touch, we're still in touch um, over the years, and the stories that she shared with me about growing up and her friends and talking to her friends at wrestling practices, that uh, for me it felt like there was more there that I wanted to um, put on screen. Um, uh, and so I started developing the feature ba- you know, out of that, out of that kind of uh, organic relationship. Um, yeah, yeah, you play Daryl, who's a pretty complicated character, and I get a sense that although he has some very selfish motives in this story, he also wants to give his daughter something he never ha- had, mm-hmm. like a chance to succeed. Mm-hmm. So um, is that accurate, my interpretation there, and um, if not, how would you describe him? Yeah, I think it is accurate. He knows that, I think he, he's a guy who lives with his failures every single day of his life because he had he's had potential and he was the one who was supposed to so to speak get out of Brownsville. He was a shine he was a shining star. So and so now he you know, we see him at a time where he, he's just out of prison and he's just returned from somewhere and the disappointment, um, he, he 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 can't get away from it. He can't escape. And uh, but he has his daughter who I think he's determined will not be like him. Um, and he's a character who has, he can only work within the resources that he has or that he's aware that he has. And so I think that's where we see some of his shortfalls and things like that. But, um, he's, he's really trying to figure out how to, he's a character who's trying to figure out how to get back on top too. You know, it, it, it felt really good to, 
to you know to shine and to be the man in high school and and now he sees his daughter and that's an opportunity to live to relive some of his own glory days too so there is a selfish component to that as well um while also wanting you know the best for his daughter at the same time i think he hopes daryl's fault i think and this is from the outside this is not something that the character would know but i think one of his faults is assuming that he can do both at the same time Mm -hmm. you know that he can do it all at the same time and that it'll work out well Uh, but those are the situations that an actor is thankful for to have from a you know a writer and a director because that creates really interesting drama and I know I'm going to slaughter your name. Elvir. If you Elvira. think of Elvir, my dear, that's the best way to never forget Elvira. it. Elvira, my dear. Elvira, my dear. Elvira. Well, Elvira, my, my dear. Um, <laughs> this, this role for you, it, it looked like it was pretty physically demanding. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to know, can you tell us what kind of training you went through to prep for this part? Um, I learned to wrestle in was five weeks with uh, trainer Mike uh, that Livy introduced me to. Mm-hmm. Before that, I had no experience besides just playing fight at home. Um, <laughs> um, so it was pretty intense, but that part of it was really fun for me because I love physical sport and activity, like just for fun. So it was hard, but it was was kind of exciting learning to do like new things that I'd never done before. But yeah, I remember the first week, my arms, I never knew how much arm strength I would be using. <laughs> and they were and the hunching <laughs> over, the hun- I had to get used to the hunching over thing. I, f- I felt like it was my caveman pose. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> but after that, it became more and more natural. And then things that were really hard got easy or, or at least normal. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it was kind of exciting that part. And Coleman, um, you play Coach Castile, and um, I should mention that that character was named after Philando Castile. Um, <clears throat> having that name collect- connected to Philando, how did that make you feel, and did you learn anything new about yourself while playing this coaching role to Monique? Well, you know what? I, I didn't know that until l- later in, as, as we were shooting, actually. I think that it was a, a subtle thing that was, uh, Olivia was threading in with the names of schools, etc., and then suddenly it was like, wait a minute, I see what she's doing. Mm-hmm. And um, so then I felt, you know, you know, the beautiful things, you feel even more of a, a responsibility, a, a gentle responsibility. You feel like I'm honoring uh, these men uh, who have gone on and, and the influences that they, could, they can, can have and could have had in community. Mm-hmm. And whether it's schools, whether it's coaching, mm-hmm. whatever. So these are the fathers that um, still live on in legacy. And so I represent that. And I think, you know, someone who's trying to do the right thing. And so and I think that's um I think that's generally what I'm trying to do as an artist as well, which is why I was drawn to this this film as well. It's something that I I'm not a father, um, but I, I think I'm a good uncle and I, I, think, I, think, I'm, I think I'm a good friend and I think I am someone who tries to have a good influence on uh, on communities as well. So I think it, it means it means a lot to me to be a part of I'd like each of you to answer this question. What scenes resonated with you the most while going through this process? There's a scene where uh, Daryl is, where he's first asking, uh, asking, I want to say over here, I'm sorry, uh, asking. Uh, Love. Yeah, <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm sitting there looking at you, and I'm like, no, that's not your name. <laughs> Daryl is asking Mo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's to to join these underground fights, mm, yeah. and uh, he doesn't want to say it. He he wants her to he wants her to um, he wants her to say it. He wants her to join in with his idea, and it hurts him to say it. And then he just has to because that's the only way that he can figure out. And um, that was that's that that's a scene that is. That really paints his his situation, you know, mm-hmm. for me. You know, he was he's he feels as though I can only do so much, and I'm doing the best. He, he says I'm doing my part, you know. And I think is if he, if he really believes that, then I think that's what makes his their relationship kind of tragic at the same time because you can see that oh this if this is what he has to offer, then she has a decision to make. 
you know, about how about her future and about how far she's going to go and what she can get out of this relationship. Um, but that, but that's her father, you know, and she loves him, and this is his daughter, and he loves her. So that was a that was a there's a lot of conflict in that in, in that scene um, that that I was drawn to. Olivia has written some lines, for <laughs> and one one in particular is. Uh, she, she's always cracking on the dudes and, and, and the dudes. And she had these, we have these real, you know, a lot of our background with these real young wrestlers. Uh-huh. And, you know, you got this young woman. She's like, you want to feel on some titties? She's like, <laughs> I can't. And I'm tell you, when I tell you, it would kill me every single time because as I got yeah. to know over here, she's so sweet and everything. And then she gets so rough. And like, oh, God, stop saying that. Just stop saying no. You know, so, she, she made, so it was also, it was Coleman saying to <laughs> to Avira, but it was like, oh my God. Because I have a fascination. I love to see young women like this on films. We don't yeah. see them that often because yeah. she's so complex and you get <laughs> deeper. She, she reveals more that, than that tough uh, veneer that she's been presenting. But that tough veneer is like, this is how she survived. She's mm-hmm. harder than any dude. She's like, I will beat you up. I mean, I love to see a young woman like that. Yeah. She, she's, you know, I'm like, this young woman also has all the, all the energy and uh, facilities. She could have been and could be a Maxine Waters eventually. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. It's yeah. of the same spirit. Yeah. So I want to, to examine a young woman like that. That's the same thing. So, Absolutely. you know, the idea of next time you see some hood girl, some big bamboos, and, you know, <laughs> in the face, that she could be, that she has the same energy and spirit as Maxine Waters. She's on, <laughs> Michelle Obama. She's on her way. No, exactly. <laughs> you know? yeah. would, you, would you agree with that, Olivia? Like, how do you feel about playing that dichotomy? Like, She's, this. <laughs> This woman that does have that hard veneer, as he says, but then also has these very soft moments in the film. I absolutely loved her because I thought she was so real. I feel like people put people in boxes. They Mm. put them in oh, you're this person, you're that person, but everyone has different sides of them. And we just really got to see the details of the different sides of who she was, um, probably because of how much you wrote in there, Livy. Um, So I I think it was real to see I mean, I might say something today and tomorrow. I'm like, that was stupid. You know what I'm saying? So, like, so we're all constantly evolving and changing and bettering ourselves. And she's definitely at the stage where she's in transition. So you're definitely going to see a lot of different colors. Yeah. So I love that. The colors of who she was are organic and real. Yeah, yeah. It felt very real. Olivia, um, I had read that 60% of the film crew were women. Uh, thank you. For that, <laughs> and and I wanted to know first of all was that deliberate? And you know, there's been a recent conversation with the Oscars that was recently broadcast, and Frances McDormand mentioned the term inclusion writers. So, what are your thoughts about inclusion writers as well? Um, I'm one of the people that had to immediately look it up, and then I was like. Thank you for telling me that you could even put this in because mm-hmm. for us it was uh, it was very deliberate that we I wanted to make sure that um, we had as many women and people of color in our crew as possible and so anytime I got a list of uh, crew to interview if there wasn't a woman on the list I sent it back wow. my producers were totally on board and it's it takes a little bit extra work you know it's like I wanted to have a female DP. I wanted there to be a woman's eye behind the lens. I also knew there was going to be some more intimate scenes with um, Alvira, and I just wanted her to feel comfortable with who was going to be mm-hmm. behind the camera. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there's less women cinematographers, but so you have to dig a little deeper. But digging deeper doesn't mean that they're less qualified. They are just as amazing. It's just that there's less of them. So mm-hmm. it takes a little bit more work. Um, but you know, I feel like I had the absolute best crew I could have um, I could have imagined, and and it was the energy that I wanted on set. Um, I had a, a male AD, and I gave him a really hard time because I really didn't want a male voice running the the ship. And he said, I, "I'm sorry, I'm not a woman. I'm sorry, I'm not black, but I will." <laughs> and I said, "All right, Mike, but you know, <laughs> he was great." Um, but yeah, I'm I, I'm so excited by I'm so excited by what's happening with Times Up and yeah. Me Too. I mean, I just feel like there's a there's a turning of the tides right now that has. I mean, I, it makes me sad to think that we still need it. Um, right. But I'm, yeah, I'm thrilled to I'm thrilled to be you know coming into the you know into the community of directors at this moment. It feels really feels really powerful. Mm-hmm. 
You also um, had mentioned that the last scene was the most difficult to shoot. Can you kind of share that story with us? Oh, God. <laughs> Something about they school bus not showing up. Oh, God. I'm sure <laughs> you guys rain. Know. Oh, it's oh. awful. Yeah. The lighting changed. It oh. rained, and then it, then it wasn't raining. Yeah. And yeah, then we, we had... were trying to block it a certain way. <laughs> like, step here, then make a left, then go up. Then I, I was, yeah. It was <laughs> awful. Yeah. We had, it, was the, it was the last scene of the movie. It's the emotional climax of the film. We're basically, you know, we're, oh, I don't know if I should give it away. But it's the emotional yeah. climax of the film. We needed a school bus in the background because she's being pulled between the bus and her father. So visually, we had to have this bus in the background. The bus didn't show up. Mm. So the producers were running around trying to get another bus oh. there. Oh. Meanwhile, we're losing light, it's, and then it starts to rain. So our time to shoot the scene keeps getting crunched. Mm -hmm. We have to pick a new location to shoot it, and it to, for me, I can't get over the fact that it's in this location that makes no sense for me because mm -hmm. he would not show up to the front of the school. Um, so I, that for me was a stumbling block. And then all of the logistics, I felt like I just I couldn't focus on the perform, just on getting in and being the performance. And Alvira and I were struggling with it, you know, where Mo should be emotionally, and so. For me, I just, it was the worst as a director. There were so many things out of my control that I was fighting against. Um, so I knew on set we're reshooting this. I just, I couldn't accept. <laughs> this is not the end of my movie. Um, and then we had this beautiful reshoot day where we got to do it again. And I actually gave me the time to edit the film and actually rewrite the ending a little bit. And we found, I mean, Elvira hasn't seen it, but like the most powerful moment of the film happened that day on the bus, completely impromptu. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And it's, it's my ending, you know? Yeah. It's like that is how the movie needs to end. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm grateful that it was such a disaster because yeah. we got to then have this like magical moment happen in the reshoot. It's what you call like a happy accident. Yes. <laughs> well, I, yeah, yeah, I have to ask you this question because you're in a lot of projects right now and here on the Black Girl Nerds podcast, we're very excited for Aquaman that's coming out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, um, how do you approach your characters when you play them? And can you kind of share your process? Uh, sure. I mean, I, I, I think I have a very long drawn out process that will probably take a little more time but at the core of, uh, I think is two things um, one is that every character is in love with something mm -hmm. like deeply 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 in love with something and it gets really interesting when when that character or when the actor knows that the world is trying to take that or that, that the, when the actor knows that the world is trying to take that away and then then you can vigorously uh, and and defend that thing that you love with a with a wide range of variety, which is something that I try to do. I think Daryl is in love with this idea that he can be great again and that he can have it all. Mm -hmm. You know, he's not a guy that can have it all in the sense in term in terms of what he thinks that is. You know, so he's a guy. He's a character that's. You know, I get to play a guy that's now led by his delusions, so to speak, but mm -hmm. that he absolutely believes in it. And then you see, man, you can't make these type of mistakes. Mm -hmm. He's aiming for the wrong thing. So mm -hmm. I kind of talk to myself in that way as an actor to try to get myself in situations where I'm defending something that I just love so much. And we'll see that in Aquaman. I think mm -hmm. uh, that won't be hard to hard to uh, misinterpret. Um, that won't be hard to interpret. <laughs> They'll figure out what I'm trying to say. Uh, um, so yeah, I mean that's always a, a good, a good, a good starting place that, that that keeps me on balance and that keeps me off balance, which which is where it gets fun. Last question: What do you hope audiences will take away from this film? I I really want people to see Mo and to you know just root for. A black girl who, t a black girl from the, you know, from the projects, who, who, who can wear hoop earrings and long nails, and who has a sexuality of her own, and who is rough and tough and smart, and I want, I, I want, I want people to see that the kids who get on the train, you know, the kids who get on the subway in New York, and everybody's on their way coming from work, and they're on their way. And the kids on there were coming from school, but the people on there were, you know, from work, they kind of look and they clam up. 
and they, you know, they look at them sideways and things like that. I want them to see like kids from the projects mm. doing every, doing everyday normal thing, getting in trouble, making noise, rapping, freestyling, cursing, you know, dancing, crying, you know, living a full life. And I think this is the film that that does that. And uh, I, I don't I don't know when I've seen that, you know, uh, on film, um, and, and in a way that wasn't politicized or made to attempt to be poetic but you can just see how people live and I think this movie attempts to do that um, and that's enough yeah I would say definitely the normalization of I guess those right. those people and also um, to get from it perseverance and redemption I think that's most story is that she ain't no quitter you know what I'm saying yeah. and that she's willing to fight and that you know you can no matter where you are in life you can always turn around and make a different choice and change your path, change your story, and that's what Mo does. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited Attempt for people to get to know um, a rising star. Yeah. Yeah. People have been talking about it for a It's a complex performance that I think yeah. uh, that I know that I'm so proud of. I feel like we're all so proud to be a part of to really usher in this new talent. Thank you so much. And I hope that it makes people want to see more films like this because it was really hard to get this film financed mm -hmm. and we were told at every stop that it couldn't be made um, and I, I give Netflix all the credit for recognizing that this needed to be made um, and I think we're seeing that I mean I think Get Out should have won the Oscar yes. I still cannot get over it um, <laughs> but you know I think that we're seeing that Pete, there is a thirst to see different stories and we don't need to see the same kinds of people and the same kinds of stories all the time and um, so I, I hope and I <laughs> think when they fall in love with Elvira's um, character they're, you know, that it, I hope that it makes people want to get more films like this out there and more stories like this out there. Yeah. Thank you so much. First Match is a beautiful film on Netflix. And thank you for taking the time to talk about it. Thank you. Thank you. When three parents discover their daughter's pact to lose their virginity at prom, they launch a covert one night operation to stop the teens from sealing the deal. The comedy is produced by Seth Rogen, Evan Goldberg, and James Weaver under Point Grey Pictures. And the film is directed by Kay Cannon, who's featured in this interview, along with actresses Geraldine Viswanathan and Gideon Adlin. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Jamie. I'm your host. Very excited to have the team here from the film Blockers, which made its premiere at South by Southwest. I'm here with the director and two of the characters from the film, Geraldine and Gideon, who plays Kayla and Sam and director Kay Cannon. Thank you guys so much for being on the podcast. We are Thank so you. happy to be here. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, Kay, I know that we know your work from the Pitch Perfect films. What sets this movie apart from the other work that you've previously done? Well, the fact that it's rated R is a big difference for me, yeah, yeah. <laughs> quite frankly, you know, like, um, I wasn't even quite sure how it would be in the space, but really, once I, it's sort of like, it's like the audience that, um, the Pitch Perfect audience, mm -hmm. they're, they've kind of grown up and are at the age where this is what I think they'd want to see, yeah, and stories about themselves, you know, um, and so I, I think that, like, the rated R part of it with them is going to be really, like, refreshing and good. Like, it's just going to feel different. Yeah. And, like, they're ready for that. We don't see fun. many rated R, like, toilet bowl humor films from women directors. Like, hardly ever. <laughs> um, I think uh, we did some research on this. I am the sixth woman to ever direct a rated R comedy studio-released comedy. Wow. wow. In the history of film. How does that That's make crazy. you feel, knowing that you've reached that milestone? I mean, I feel, I feel like, boy, those numbers are grim. <laughs> and yeah. um, uh, I feel that I just really hope the movie does well, because if it's good business, then, mm -hmm. then hopefully the numbers will increase. Right, absolutely. You know, be willing to take risks. You know, the theater was roaring with laughter last night. It was so loud that I couldn't hear some of the dialogue. Yeah. <laughs> um, a lot of people really enjoyed the film. How was your experience watching this with an audience here at South By? That was like the best, I think that was the best thing about it. Was the, the fact that the laughter was so loud you couldn't hear the dialogue. And I've said that to a lot of people today, like, the laughter was immense. Yeah. I mean, that crowd was electric. It was crazy. 
Yeah. It was completely surreal. Yeah. 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 It felt like a dream. Um, there's a moment in one of the scenes with Leslie Mann's character and Catherine Newton's character, and when the scene was over, the audience applauded. <laughs> and I... I was just like, am I being pranked? Like, I, I felt like the a whole audience was going to stand up and be like, we're kidding. Yeah. <laughs> we were paid to be here. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's an early birthday present, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, it felt... Because that, that was a great moment in yeah. her story, story arc, which, yeah, yeah, yeah. I really appreciated that moment. It, it just really felt like the audience was just really with her and, yeah. and, and was, you know, like... Going along on this really crazy ride. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. There, there's a lot of slapstick and humor with your characters, and I wanted to know: Were you inspired by any specific comedians when you're preparing for this role? I don't think in preparing for this role. I mean, there are so many comedians, especially female comedians, that inspire me mm -hmm. um, in everything. Like, um, yeah, but I don't know if for specifically in this role. Yeah. Okay, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> so it was too close. Like it was like like you guys. Or yeah, something? no, I I feel like for this character, I really prepared from like I connected to her on so many levels, like with things that Sam has been through, I've been through. So I kind of took it from that, and just like my high school experiences too, which I guess made it just so it was just very relatable. So. It was very relatable. So that's interesting that you say that. Um, was that something, did you pull from, like, your own personal experiences when you yeah. watched this? Yeah, 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 a, a lot. I mean, my relationship with my uh, father, um, my relationships with my two best friends at my high school, and remembering that feeling of knowing we're all moving to different places and not going to have each other anymore. I mean, it's like I've been through it all, having a crush on someone in high school and, like, wanting to kiss them on prom night, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I guess I can say that I drew some inspiration from Kay Cannon. Because, yeah, my um, my character did feel, like, you know, similar to Kay. She, Kay also, like, grew up um, doing sports. And, like, I definitely think that Kay is probably the most similar to Kayla in the, in the story. So, yeah, Kay. That's my inspo. <laughs> I think when we were writing the character of Kayla, we, it was coming from, like, how I talk. And, mm. and just that, that like confidence and kind of like in your face a little bit mm. and I don't know, a bit of a potty mouth, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but really just that like that, I, I, I'm going to say it, cool girl vibe. <laughs> hey, yeah, yeah. yeah. Can I say it? Someone yeah. should probably say it. I, I probably couldn't say it. I feel like a lot of people could relate to these characters. Mm -hmm. And you guys have like really great chemistry. I feel like. A lot of it was very organic. Did you guys like hang out, like off the oh, set, kind of get to know each other? Oh yeah, we were attached by the end. Yeah, all of us. We were, our rooms were across from the hall from each other. Yeah. So we would just like knock on each other's doors and be like, "Let's go to karaoke!" Like it yeah. was like just the funnest two months in Atlanta. Ever. Yeah, we got really really close with yeah. each other. And now they still are. They're like yeah, yeah. and we awesome. still we talk all the time. Yeah, all the time. Well, yeah. it definitely permeates through the screen. So. We're obsessed with each other. <laughs> yeah. And we wish Catherine was here. Yeah. She's also, we're really close with her as well. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so I know that the butt-chugging scene is <laughs> going to be, like, the most memorable moment for this movie. I kind of think of, like, what American Pie was with, you know, getting kind of intimate with apple pies at that moment <laughs> and how that kind of stuck out. How do you think audiences will respond to that scene? Well, we we did three previews uh, while we while I was working on the movie, and then of course we heard how they responded last night. Every time in every preview, though, mm -hmm. in whatever incarnation the butt chugging was in at the time, uh, like audiences really lose their minds. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the the very first time uh, we had like audience members like getting out of their chair and like applauding, and I just think. It's such a foreign concept, and then John Cena commits so hard to what's happening. Mm -hmm. I think everybody around is the around John Cena in that scene is so funny, mm -hmm. and yes. then we have like a nice connection with with Mitchell, uh, who's John Cena, uh, and then Geraldine, who plays Kayla, his daughter. So there's a moment there. I feel like it's just full of surprises. Mm -hmm. And then, well, this is in the trailer, so we talked about this, but when the beer comes out of his butt and 
kicks uh, Ike Bernholtz <laughs> yes. in the face, and then Ike says ass beer. That's been in the trailer. We did that twice, and the what, what the take that I used is the very first take. So we kind of got it on the first mm. take, um, and. It was just so. I remember laughing so hard at watching Ike run up the uh, lawn and mm-hmm. saying, "I need to go to the hospital. There's ass beer in my mouth. It's it's in my mouth." <laughs> I, it was just so so funny. Who thought of that, by the way? Well, that was in the script that I read um, a couple years ago, and um, I believe that was uh, John Hurwitz and Hayden Schlossberg had put that in there. Okay. And when I got the script, I think that maybe Point Grey and Good Universe thought I might be like, hey, we can't do this butt-chugging thing. Mm-hmm. But I said the opposite. I was like, You're we like, have to. Story. I wanted to do a movie where you had butt-chugging and then in the same movie you had emotion and heart and like you cry. Right. Or some of the things that happen between the parents and the kids and the kids to each other and the parents to each other. So, um, because I, I think that that's what makes a memorable movie. It does. Mm-hmm. I, listen, I think people are going to be talking about that scene for a really long time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Blockers did, you know, speaking of writers, um, it, it did have a number of writers working on this film, and I was curious to know about the process. Uh, were there rewrites happening as you were going along in production, mm-hmm. or was everything that we saw on the screen on the page? <laughs> <laughs> no, the script is very fluid all the time. And actually, uh, the credited writers on the movie are uh, the Kehoe brothers. Uh, mm-hmm. It's going to be written by uh, them. All those writers we saw at, um, at South by um, uh, were they worked on the movie, but they are not credited writers mm-hmm. for the movie. Um, and we just, you know, that decision was just made in this last week um, by the Writers Guild. So, uh, mm-hmm. but there is there were so many voices. It was kind of I felt a little bit like I was the head writer in a writer's room because mm-hmm. the. Um, there, Evan Russell, and um, who just happens to be my husband, uh, and uh, Seth Rogen, and Lisa Goldberg, and Evan Goldberg, and then we had writers on set: Dave Sasson, um, uh, Megan Gans, uh, who am I forgetting? And then John and Hayden wrote on it. Producers would give ideas. Yeah, producers I was, were I was, always shouting. I was yeah. constantly rewriting. You know, like there was. Yeah. I had a couple of scenes that I rewrote after rehearsal. Uh, so those were a little bit of stressful times. Or we'd be in the middle of a scene and she'd just start, like, she'd be like, okay, now say this, now say this, now say this. Which I really liked that. There was so much freedom on set with that. Which yeah. Was so, fun. so, you know, I, it helps. And there was a lot of improvising. So that's what I was going to ask. Well, did you guys improvise a lot of your own scenes? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It'd give them uh, what's called fun runs. I mean, we'd get what's on the page or what alts we had. And then it'd be like, okay, this, this, this take, go ahead and do what you feel mm-hmm. and um, and I would have to say like all the actors brought jokes to the table too or would, would go through and say I'm wondering if I could do this instead or whatever and we would try it it was like really fun to try stuff that's awesome yeah, yeah. that's good that you guys had that flexibility mm. um, so was there any particular scenes that you guys say would be your favorite I really like the scene between Sam and um, Ike's character that like always makes me tear up. The last one, yeah, yeah. in oh, the hotel yeah. room. Oh yeah. Um, I just think that's such a beautiful scene, and it, and like last night it played. It was so heartfelt and moving, but it was also really funny. Like it also got so much, like, like mm-hmm. so many laughs, and I think that's like such a beautiful balance to strike. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think one of my favorite scenes is the bedroom scene. When um, Lisa's in the Lisa's in the room and she's trying to get out, that's really funny. Yes. And um, I guess my scene with Ike is also a favorite of mine. And um, yeah, I don't know the whole thing. The whole thing just makes me happy. Like we, we made <laughs> you a guys good movie. Like you were having a really good time. Yeah, I mean we made a good movie. So. They threw up a lot. Uh, oh so well, the, the that scenes that were real. Fun. Well, you know, they would put stuff in their mouth and then yeah, oh, like like we'd fill our mouths with like it was Hawaiian bread. Mine was oh Hawaiian bread, bananas, strawberries, oh. lettuce, <laughs> celery. It was nasty. It was, but it was, it was a whole <laughs> night of them. That barf sequence used to be a lot longer. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. And then um, I, I shortened it quite a bit. Because, you know, people don't really want to see. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it works, and it's pretty funny. It's, it was hilarious. With the and classical it, music. Yes. <laughs> yes. Everybody barfing, the driver barfing. Mm. <laughs> hilarious. 
Um, I think the idea of a sex pack is a great foundation for an ensemble comedy. So, um, did each of you have any kind of crazy packs while in school or any stories to share about that? I feel like I did, but I'd have to think about, about I, it. I remember making a pact with one of my like guy friends that like if I didn't have my first kiss before I was um, 16, I would kiss him. And then I turned 16, I still hadn't been kissed. We were like too awkward to do it. We just like never brought it up again. <laughs> um, I don't know. I feel like my friend, oh, actually, there was kind of like a weird sex pact at my school, but I wasn't a part of it. Um, I'm not gonna say their names, but a couple of my best friends—a couple of my best friends were still virgins at a certain point. It was like it was like blockers, basically, and um, they all started dating these guys and lost their virginities. But I don't want to say too much. I'm gonna listen to this, but like, yeah, it was like that was that was kind of that was kind of like a pact, but it wasn't like prom night, but had to do with virginity. They're like, it has to happen before college. So yeah, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> That's awesome. And then maybe like, all of us need to smoke weed tonight or like stuff mm. like that at parties. Mm-hmm. Stupid stuff. <laughs> <laughs> What's been the most rewarding thing about working on this film? And, and this is a question for, for you guys, Geraldine and Gideon. Um, working with a female director, what's been the most rewarding part of that experience? <laughs> and Kay is listening. <laughs> Um, I don't know, having that, having that energy on set, it was such like a female-centric, it was, having the female energy surrounding you and having this be my first film, I was so comfortable, and I felt really confident, and I wasn't afraid to be me. I was never, there was never an uncomfortable moment. I don't know, Kay's awesome. I'm very lucky, we're very lucky. Yeah, I just couldn't imagine this movie being directed by anyone else. Yeah, no. Kay. Like, um, on set, it was such a, like, nurturing, wonderful environment. But then also seeing it last night, I feel like that energy, you can feel it. You can, you know that it, the story is being treated with care and, like, you have that perspective. I think it felt alive to me in, like... Yeah, and I just thought it really, it represented uh, young women correctly in my eyes, yeah. And what about you, Kay? What was rewarding for you about making this film? Um, it was, there's so many things, but when we were selling the movie, I was attached to direct, Leslie Ike and uh, John were to star. We went to several different studios to try to sell the movie. And we ended up at Universal, which is like a home to me. And I'm very happy that we were there. And I remember being asked a lot of questions when we were selling this movie. Uh, and there was a script that they read. And one of the executives said, why would any young girl or woman pay a ticket to come see this movie? Mm-hmm. And I'm sure he was asking like in a business sense. Yeah. But I, it's not how it landed in my mind. And my answer back to him was because we are starving to see ourselves on camera telling a story about what we feel when we want to, um, you know, lose our virginity or have agency over our own bodies, and you know, and and quite frankly, a lot of those executives are were men, and they just didn't get it. And so I'm really happy that it actually got made. The response from last night was so great. It's just really rewarding to, to now this person will be like, now you'll see a bunch of women buy a ticket to see this movie. Mm. Um, and, uh, and that there's nothing, like, that's just so great. Well, thank you so much. I hope Hollywood continues to green light films like this with women directors. Yeah. It's very important. And Blockers was so funny. I really enjoyed it. Oh, so, thanks so thank much. You so thank much. you. Thank you. The Black Girl Nerds Podcast is produced by Jamie Brodnax. Various episodes are edited by Jamie Brodnax, M.R. Daniel, and John Bauer. The opening theme song to our show is written and performed by Samus. Various instrumentals are performed by Samus, Sky Blue, and Shubzilla. 
You can find episodes of the Black Girl Nerds podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Audioboom, and Spotify. 